Welcome to The Derivative by RCM Alternatives, where we dive into what makes alternative investments go, analyze the strategies of unique hedge fund managers, and chat with interesting guests from across the investment world. Hey everyone, happy April Fool's Day Eve. Is that a thing? We've got quite a lineup for you the next couple of episodes. Mike Green of Simplify, Olympic gold medalist Lindsay Jacob Ellis' performance coach, and VIX specialist Jim Carroll, Stuart Barton, and Vance Hardwood to talk the new VIX ETFs coming out from Ball Shares. Okay, after traveling to Ireland and then Norway in the last two episodes, we're continuing our European tour de quant in today's episode by chatting up the founder and CEO of short-term systematic shop Deep Field Capital from Switzerland, who ply their wares on stock index markets from Asia to Europe to U.S. Okay, time to get going with Bastian Ballesta. Send it. This episode is brought to you by RCM's Outsourced Trading Desk. We talk about trading in the overnight session in this episode, and RCM's 24-6 desk is there all night to facilitate such orders, so you U.S.-based traders can get some shut-eye. Visit www.rcmalts.com to learn more. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're here with my favorite Swiss automaton. Welcome, Bastian. Hi, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me today. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Uh, hopefully, didn't take offense to calling you automaton. Have you ever read the book, The Invention <laughs> of Hugo Cabret? I heard you talking about it a couple of times, and I haven't <laughs> read it yet. So, But it's definitely on the to-do list because you're going to ask me again sometime in the future. Yeah. The, the kid finds an old mechanical robot like the ones you are fond of and... Uh, it was his father's and he rebuilds it. It's a tearjerker um, with a little bit of coolness in there. And then I almost Beautiful. bought you a present in Vail, Colorado, a little shop I was in that I sent you the picture of all those little, uh, those little robots. But yeah, I we loved have... it. I, I shared it with the team. Beautiful. No, uh, uh, it's old mechanical um, out of metal, right? Um, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's beautiful. I didn't yeah, we have, have some the, of uh... these in, in the shop. We have some of these in the office as well. Yeah. Yeah, those were not running nice about $18,000. So I didn't, I didn't have that on me to send you the present. Yeah, we're, work, we're working on that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and probably it's uh, 18000 It's It's not really the billable thing. Um, it's, exactly. It's, 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 it's beyond the norm for sure. Uh, and so how are you? How's your backgrounds in international relations, right? E yes. I have a passion in international relations. Um, after, after studying um, business administration and finance and working for Deutsche Bank um, uh, for a while, I decided to, I wanted to do something what, what is real fun. And that's when I studied international relations Yeah, and uh, lived in China and stuff like that. So, but now I'm back in finance already. Yeah. So it's rather a passion, I would say, than, than a focus point. So with that passion, what are you making of Switzerland breaking with their long-held neutral stance and all that's going on in the world. What are you, what are your pet theories or couch? A light armchair? start on a good yeah. mood. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, yeah, maybe to put that into perspective, um, uh, why we are currently recording, it seems to be that um, Ukraine and Russia are making some progress. So you can actually really record on a good mood and markets are reacting to it accordingly. But um, in, in regards to um, uh, Switzerland, I, I've, I've read and heard, especially from the US, uh, that it was well noted that um, Switzerland has changed something in the politics of um, neutrality 
I think Bill Clinton just the other day also said it uh, quite openly and pointed out that this is a departure from uh, certain um, uh, ways Switzerland has acted in the past. There are actually um, a number of occasions um, in, in, in the past couple of years where Switzerland joined on certain um, sanctions. Um, and uh, one could probably say that uh, argue to a certain degree this is now a continuation of that policy so they all the, the current the current topic is neutrality neutrality but not uh, but not um showing a lack of sympathy so to say so they yeah. want they want to show sympathy um definitely towards ukraine um, um the president of uh, um, the confederation has been traveling to poland the other day so he's at the forefront of, of showing that. And it's certainly, it's, it's, it's perceived as mixed feelings here in Switzerland um, because not all political parties are happy with that departure from neutrality. But ultimately, I think they're also caught by surprise because um, everybody, I, a lot of people were surprised how quick Europe spoke with one voice. Yeah. Europe has a history of, discussing over and over and very long late nights. Um, think about um, um, Chancellor Merkel, um, always pushing it towards the night because everybody's sleepy and then she has the overhand in Germany, um, 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 guiding, guiding the discussions. Uh, but now she's gone. So there, 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 there are certain changes uh, um, in Europe now in terms of constellations. And I was very positively surprised how quick um, Europe spoke with one voice. Um, the same goes for um, how NATO came together and the importance and relevance and um, um, the way how NATO works has been revived, which is probably a good thing, um, yeah. considering that it is um, standing for democracies and uh, values of freedom and liberty and uh, many other things we all cherish and um, have enjoyed for many years and have just been reminded that it's not for granted. And in, in our case, in terms of distance, it's not really far. So it's happening on the ground and we have um, a lot of refugees coming um, um, to the neighboring countries, but also to Switzerland now and to, um, to Germany. My kids um, this weekend and last, the weekend before, they actually uh, went into the kitchen and bake uh, cakes and said, mom, we want to do cakes. We want to sell cakes. We want to raise money for uh, Ukraine, for, for um the refugees and the uh, displaced people and they are seven and nine so when yeah. i was seven and nine i wow. don't know I, I wasn't i wasn't baking cakes for refugees um i had no clue that they're actually refugees so yeah. it seems to be that our kids are living in a different kind of world now as well and they have been successfully raising funds um we donated it to a world central kitchen um a u.s organization I, I i love these guys they always whenever there's a crisis in the u.s or a natural disaster or now also in ukraine they go out and they cook food so their focus is on preparing meals hot meals if somebody arrives and has um suffered heavily that they feel comfort just for a short period of time and um this is an awesome effort and um yeah my my kids together with neighboring kids they stood there the entire sunday and um, people came by and very happily bought heavily overpriced cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it worked. And yeah, my wife just came back from um, um, an organization where they give out um, toys for kids who are arriving and, and clothes. So it is, it is in our day-to-day -day life. It is, it's crazy. And um, 
Congrats. Yeah. Just a couple of months ago, just a couple of months ago, everything was, uh, th that was a different world. So it's, it's a different, we are living in a different kind of world. And maybe we are reminded that um, how blessed we are in terms of what we can do in terms of our business. We already discussed that in regards to COVID, that people suffered all over the world while we could actually continue working in, in our now home offices and even benefited from it to a certain degree, maybe, because we don't have to commute to the office every single day. Um, and now maybe the world is even changing in terms of work that we can continue working from home and uh, in the office. So some kind of hybrid model. And um, again, now there's another crisis with even more tragedy, um, 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 or not, not more, but a different kind of tragedy. Yeah. And uh, more avoidable. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah pro yes. Yes, probably. But uh, it, it's like history repeating itself um, uh, or rhyming at least. And um, um, I'm, I'm very humbled to see how people got together and help and how it is uniting. And um, I'm, I'm, also, I'm also very sad about seeing what has happening on the ground in Russia over years already. And now in a very short period of time, because I have friends from Russia as well. One of my best friends is married to uh, um, 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 a very cool Russian girl or lady and, um, and very modern. And uh, Moscow has been a very modern place. You know? So we just had a talk the other day and they were paying with uh, their, their subway tickets with faces and um, they had Google Pay all over the place. Yeah. And it was more modern if you wanted to tip in a restaurant, you didn't leave any money there. You did this all via app. So it was uh, being in Moscow just a couple of weeks ago was felt more modern 21st century than many places much closer hereby or in the US as well. But now this is all falling apart. And um, uh, I hope that uh, we somehow can all fix that together. Um, keep the dialogue open. And what's happening today in Turkey is certainly very helpful. Um, even when I wouldn't put too much immediate hope into it. It's good if there's dialogue and people continue to talk. So definitely the, yeah, I put out on Twitter like a week ago of my wife texted me. It's you get the kids need to bring a dollar for Ukraine to school. And I'm like <laughs> a text I never thought I would get, right. Bring a dollar for Ukraine. Okay. But that's beautiful. No, that's, that's beautiful. It's yes. Uh, if everybody, everybody gives the dollar, then that works out somehow. Um, exactly. When when I, I when I donated, I had a I had to top up to cover for the expense of sending money from A to B. It, it seems to be still be a thing that there are fees of sending money around the world. Um, uh, but um, yeah, wasn't crypto kids... supposed to fix that? Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but no, the kids. Uh, um, everybody's very engaged, and um, um, I, I just uh, we, I hope for the best. Yeah, so it, I see a lot of very positive things, and my international relation perspective certainly has been shaken up to a certain degree, but it's a lot of real politics taking place as well. Uh, Switzerland reacting rather quickly then as well, um, joining um, uh, the sanctions was just pure real politics because they caught by surprise and they knew this time around, they couldn't just sit it out, didn't work, too much pressure and um, too much focus also on Russian money in Switzerland. And um, or oligarch money. And as such, yeah, they have, there's a certain degree of departure, but I wouldn't emphasize it as strongly as it has been presented in media um, uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, 
And do you have a take They still on... want to be a place for um, mediation and they want still want to be a place for um, all parties coming together. And uh, they made a very strong stance that um, Russia should not be excluded uh, from international organizations. Yeah, you have heard that problem the last couple of days that um, uh, there were certain ideas to exclude them from was it the G7 um, and uh, in some, some other um, organizations. And the argument here is keep these platforms for dialogue. Yeah. Maybe they have to sit another table in a corner, the yeah. corner of shame. The, the kids' table. <laughs> the kids' table, exactly. But it's still in the same room and the dialogue keeps on going. And, um, and that's very important. And, uh, and do you have just... a take? We've had Luke Groman on here a couple of episodes ago, basically saying this signals the end of the US dollar as the world's reserve currency and the world's going to move more towards right hard asset-based reserves, right? Oil, gold. That kind of thing. Got any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not our direct area of expertise, considering yeah, yeah. that we're purely systematic. Um, obviously, we love macro as well as a story, and we listen to other folks who are very highly qualified in on that field. Um, generally speaking, just just very shortly, uh, you can make the case that some folks out there have been reminded that um, a reserve currency could be switched off from one day to another. If yeah. you have reserves somewhere, you don't have the reserves anymore. That was quite quite a surprise maybe um, uh, for, for a lot of folks. And that could be an argument that um, the transition to alternatives besides the dollar may have accelerated. You could make the case that there have, there have been some certain developments all over the place and China has been looking into alternatives as well. But I, Jen, for the foreseeable future, I don't think that there will be any drastic change. Um, the dollar will still have its role and um, uh, a larger part of the world will still anchor um, their day-to-day -day life uh, on the dollar. And um, it will not disappear as, as a reserve currency overnight. Agreed. So let's let's get started. That was all just the appetizer. That was good. I saw it. We are done now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to start by asking you, basically, who in their right mind would choose to make a living day trading stock index futures? All right. It's got to be one of the most competitive, hardest arena out there. Uh, so just how do you handle the insanity, which is these markets on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. You could probably put it to more insanity, um, adding discretionary. Yeah. So if I would sit there and I have to do a discretionary, I know a lot of discretionary traders, but I always, I never envied them uh, in times of uh, March, 2020 or Volmageddon or something like that, when you have to put on trades while everything is on fire. And mm -hmm. even when your portfolio is doing well to keep, to, to keep calm and make good decisions uh, at this point, um, I always I was always impressed by some folks managing that. So considering that we are fully systematic um, and everything is automated, uh, it is not really day-to-day -day stress. It is, it is more, it's more a research effort, uh, which has to deal with the difficulties and has to overcome the challenges of um, um, the data presented in daily trading. So there are certain, there's certainly challenges um, because uh, there's a lot of noise uh, if you go very short term. Um, um, all but one of our programs are all momentum-based and the majority of our research and development all, all focuses on momentum. Um, 
you could argue that um, um, the uh, larger part of movements intraday are rather mean reversion. Um, if you look at the return distribution of the S&P, the little up and little downs, that's a highly mean reverting territory uh, where you have a higher occurrence than uh, the normal distribution would suggest. So very high. And as such, um, the majority of uh, days you are facing are not really in your favor if you're momentum. Um, but at the same time, once um, the market moves towards these outer edges, um, you have a lot of return potential as well. So um, one of our programs, the ICA, focuses on the tails. Um, um, it includes a signal which have, focuses on the shoulders. So we're trying to stay away from the mean reversion part, which is probably somewhere around um, 60 to 80% of the time the case. So noise and mean reversion um, uh, predominant and Momentum, either a very strong downwards momentum or upwards momentum is uh, probably around 20% of the time. So uh, you have to come up with measures to stay away from the trouble zone. But once, once something is happening, it can be very rewarding as well. And ultimately you have a very different return profile. If you consider that most short-term managers are rather focusing on mean reversion, there, are not, there aren't as many momentum guys out there. Um, so you have a, um, um, USP, um, which sticks out uh, because of the very short holding periods. Uh, what, what was that again? USP? Unique selling proposition. Oh, got it, got it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a marketing hat. Um, yeah, um, uh, uh, I thought you were throwing a USP. market term I didn't know at me. Yeah. No, no. It, it, you, no. <laughs> never, never. Um, so uh, the the returns look different as a result and your role in the portfolio is different. So you don't have as much um, competition um, um, when somebody looks at you or comp compares what you do with other um, short-term managers. But the short-term space itself is very heterogeneous because everybody's going after slightly different things. But um, I'm, I'm with you in regards to challenges that um, you have to overcome the noise. That's certainly one aspect. And the market structure is changing also over time. Um, and do you feel uh, the noise is created in the in the bulk of the bell there is that created by the high frequency trading firms the market makers the right is that noise created by all that super well funded super you know have the best computing power there is but they're all competing in that in that 60 to 80% range so get out of there right don't compete with them yeah i would um i would say that the the pattern if you look at historical data um, um has has always been like that so it is it's not new that um the majority of time uh, you rather have noise and it's not as directional yeah. so um high frequency um has been around now also for quite some time but if you go if you go in terms of data um, to the times prior you will still find that yeah so the predominant pattern is these little up and downs and not as strong um, um, uh, momentum diversion movements in the market. Um, the, if you consider that on, on, the, on the left side of the distribution, these very strong downwards moves, they are driven by uh, fear and panic. So people, uh, the market is under stress and this doesn't happen too often. And at the same time, on the right side, that you basically have very strong updates. You need you need quite some positive news and momentum there as well in, in order to push market as strongly. So it's rather the little up and uh, little up and downs uh, which which are the the day to day moves. If you look in terms of returns, 
um, the majority of market moving um, um, news in, in terms of um, earning reports and stuff like that are in the off hours. So yeah, we'll get to that look, in a sec. You, yeah. yeah, if you if you look in, in, in terms of returns, where the returns are coming from, um, this has been very stable um, through our time as well and has not substantially been influenced by the rise of market makers, uh, uh, um, high-frequency trading or things like that. So uh, what you can observe in looking at the data that um, the extreme overreactions on both sides of the distribution have increased in terms of um, frequency and magnitude. And as such, it is very beneficial uh, to focus on, on the shoulders or tails, but you have to be patient. So you, you can't go after every single trade and you, uh, um, you don't want to be lured into taking a position uh, where something looks like an opportunity and then it's falling back. So it, uh, it must be very um, active risk management in terms of position sizing, how, how, how high is the quality of that momentum currently evolving, what should the bet size be given the current very short-term market environment? And that, there's a lot of intel and many years of research, close to 20 years, um, uh, which have driven that in order to increase the odds that we can stay away from the noise, um, the very low vol days and the mean reversion days, and uh, just focus on, on the momentum as, as much and as, as good as possible. And so in your mind, you're not even trying to compete with like Renaissance or Citadel or, or groups like that who have, who can outgun you, so to speak. Yeah, they can definitely outgun us um, uh, from a technology perspective, um, as well as uh, certainly brains um, on their teams. But uh, I don't know about one... that. Give yourself some credit. Yeah. yeah, but just in terms of number of brains, number of brains, of, yeah. <laughs> not the massiveness of the brains. No, no, just uh, kidding aside, but being very humble. Um, uh, Renaissance is a quite an impressive shop. And uh, so are the others mentioned. And uh, but they come all with size. You know? So they're very large, billions yeah. and billions in on assets under management. And uh, if you if you look at our core um, playing ground, which is futures, um, uh, the future space with all its liquidity um, is still not as large when you look intraday. If you think longer term, um, you hold overnight, it's a different story. But if you want to go in and out intraday, um, we are only focusing on the most liquid um, equity indices globally. Yeah? So trading Asia, Europe and the US. Um, and so we don't even have some very attractive ones, which are very small because they don't drive the needle even for our portfolio. Um, so uh, for um, uh, a Renaissance tra trading, I don't know, um, the Malaysian market or Indonesia uh, intraday, that just doesn't work. Yeah? Um, yeah. So uh, I would argue that uh, they may be active to a certain degree. Um, there are some other um, prop shops and um, uh, short-term systematic managers who are also active uh, intraday, um, but it's a rather niche um, cap uh, capacity constrained um, um, space. And it comes with a lot of technology you have to invest as well. So this is certainly not an issue for Renaissance, but if a new competitor is coming in and they want to trade intraday and globally, we have server centers in, in Japan and in, in Hong Kong, in London and Chicago. So we're very close to the individual exchanges. It's a lot of money you have to invest first in infrastructure and then it's around the clock operations as well. So there are certain hurdles um, and it's not as scalable. So you, you will not have uh, a billion 
fund trading intraday futures. It's not going right. to happen. It's more, it's more like 250, 300, maybe a bit more. Um, so it's a very juicy space, but capacity constrained. And I think that keeps us safe to a certain degree from the folks you mentioned. Got it. And what about the retail guy who's gotten into options, who's trading futures more and more? <laughs> Did they have any hope? <laughs> In, in, in which regards? In what, day what, trading, S&P futures or E-minis, or, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> You can pass on that one if you want. No, it's a good question. Um, I think it's always good if you're curious. And if uh, adding additional strategies to your portfolio um, is certainly a good idea. I don't know if you're currently um, running meme stocks, which are hot again. Uh, you probably have seen it over the last couple of days. They're skyrocketing. Um, and uh, if, you're, if you're so active, um, predominantly on the call option side, if now um, venturing into uh, S&P intraday trading is, is the right addition to your portfolio. I don't know. Um, but generally speaking, to be curious about new approaches, very helpful. It, uh, in our case, we have worked on, on such type of strategies for 25 years. Yeah? Um, um, some team members even longer. So it, and then we have learned a lot of lessons there as well. So it could right. it could so be better approach. Just show up and be successful. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's if if you if you look at a lot of new investors coming in into the sphere of investing, yeah, over the past two or three years, and they um, a lot of folks had a really good ride. It was a specific market environment. Um, we had uh, a tremendous stimulus, um, monetary as fiscal. Uh, so who, who do you want to claim if someone, someone who has made um, decent money, especially from a very low starting point, very aggressively, uh, and one day after another be confirmed in this very aggressive stance being a successful trade? And it's happening at the moment right now while we're speaking. Over the past two weeks, the market has seen a tremendous change again. So we are seeing tech being in again. I think Apple is now the 10th or 11th day up, um, positive yeah. day in a row. Um, on a see, trillion dollar uh, market cap. It's hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on top of it. So Nasdaq uh, is, 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 is being pushed substantially. And um, you have seen a substantial increase in option activity around the meme stocks again. Um, so it, it, it seems to be um, a blueprint which has worked definitely in 2020, 2021. Now just being put out of the drawer and um, reapplied. Um, the tricky part could be that certain other circumstances are changing while we're speaking. You know, so the, the Fed has changed um, in the policy. It is starting to implement certain changes. Monetary um, tailwinds are, to a certain degree, becoming headwinds. So there are certain dynamics which may not be embedded in applying that blueprint um, uh, successfully going forward. But for the time being, um, these folks um, are adding a certain degree of volatility to markets. We love volatility. All our strategies are long wall. So uh, we have benefited from um, Come on uh, in the pool. these nucleus. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, I feel like people, I'll lump you in with me, but probably not fair, but right. I'm like, oh, these guys are going to get blown out. They don't know what they're doing. They're right. They're just jumping in. But it's kind of like people like us could be too smart too clever for our own good and if you just ignore all your experience ignore all the data and plow into these meme stocks you would have made a lot of money Ex and then, exactly yeah so it's a little 
it's hard to hard to measure up. Yeah, um, I just hope that they don't burn themselves too much. Um, yeah. Because ultimately, it's a it's a new generation of investors, and um, they are facing certain difficulties out there in uh, in the environment anyway. Um, think about um, changing economy, a lot of automation as well, a lot of folks not necessarily being able to work the jobs their parents worked because the jobs are not there anymore, and all all these different things in, in environmental difficulties, climate change. So this is basically here is the world we have prepared for you guys. And now stop stop playing around with money with your meme stocks. So yeah. I don't want to be too judgmental there. It's um, I have a lot of respect for people who um, who are eager to learn and apply um, their experience, good and bad, on a day to day basis in markets. And I just hope that this uh, generation of of new investors is um, not burned too bad. That they just make the experience as all the folks prior to them, and that they continue to be investors in the space, and that they don't um, have a bad awakening uh, somewhere in the future. Amen. You touched on it a little bit. I want to dig into this. Some of you've done some research, shared some reports, how the bifurcation between the U.S. day session and the overnight session, right? So tell us what you've seen. How has that evolved? And then after that, let's what, why does it exist? Yeah, that's a good. It's yeah, we we did we did um, definitely did a lot of research into that. Uh, driven by initially starting out trading um, the U.S. intraday session only yeah, on the future side. So the ICA program, the intraday crisis alpha, started as an S and P program. And uh, in what years even, are we talking? Early. This is twenty seventeen. May yeah. 2017, yeah. So, um, uh, and consider 2017 being uh, so substantially low wall, um, um, and this program focuses on larger intraday moves in the S&P, and the S&P didn't move up or down more than a percent for weeks and months in a row, so there was not much activity. I, I don't want to say that we were bored, and as such, we were looking <laughs> out, of the, out of the US and we're looking at different places. It's always a good idea if you develop a program on a specific um uh, instrument or a specific market and you apply to different markets as well to see if the pattern you're trying to capture there is um, existing somewhere else as well. And uh, as I said earlier, momentum specifically on the downside being a fear and panic driven aspect, overreactions, so a lot of behavioral aspects of how human react uh, to stress or also how they um, react, uh, reinterpret certain news and then um, uh, relief is kicking in or even FOMO on the right-hand side. But these, the, the tails, the shoulders and the tails are very, um, very strongly explained by behavioral aspects of trading markets or approaching difficulties, um, which are deeply embedded in us as human beings. And you can't even escape even when you program algorithms and everything. And so um, it, was, it was not a surprise to see that um, focusing on tails, focusing on uh, downwards and upwards momentum, strong upwards momentum, should also be present in Asia, for example. So we applied it to Hong Kong. Hong Kong um, has a higher retail participation, um, uh, higher volatility as well. So it very quickly was reconfirmed that um, these patterns are omnipresent. It's not just a US specific thing, but you actually have it around the world and it could be beneficial to apply exactly that approach to different markets. So from, from that degree, um, um, 
our interest um, to apply to different markets and making it a global program with all the advantages of trading something globally, which we can discuss in a second as well. Mm -hmm. um, it was certainly, it was certainly um, uh, very helpful for periods where we have now seen higher volatility and large movements specifically to the downside overnight in the US. So uh, thinking about um, March, 2020, so the COVID and market crisis, um, was an outlier to a certain degree historically, but has been reconfirmed um, with other occasions since then as well, that there are some very strong moves in the overnight. So from a US perspective, if you only trade intraday, you would not be able to, to capture the downwards move because the entire um, um, S&P downwards move um, or US equity markets downwards move in March, 2020 was overnight. However, trading globally in Asia and Europe um, now gives you the opportunity to use these markets as a proxy to um, um, access the movements which are expressing themselves in the US overnight session. And sometimes, because uh, you were asking for drivers, um, certain news are evolving while the US in the overnight. So it's not specifically that actors are active in the overnight and that's driving it, And uh, but it's just new news are coming in. So um, on a regular basis, um, uh, corporate news, certainly in the off hours, which have this effect that there's a lot of movement overnight. And historically, um, um, not just in the US, but globally, the majority of the upwards move in the equity markets um, is driven by the overnight. So equity markets have a very strong upwards um, um, drift um, yeah, overnight. I think I've seen that report that it was like the day session was essentially flat and there were 80, 100% gains during all the overnight sessions. Correct. Which is mind-boggling, right? Like how it doesn't yeah, seem like that could be the case, but yeah, it is, it is, it is that the news, the news are expressed um, overnight and materialize in a gap, gap up or gap down. And then some other folks are coming in and are second guessing or reinterpreting. And then there's a battle in what direction um, the instrument or the market actually goes from that point. But um, uh, overall, the drift um, is uh, downwards um, intraday. And this specifically goes for um, crises. So panic, fear, emotions, that's expressed in very strong downwards moves. If you go, if you analyze the, the large um, um, drawdowns in the S&P uh, since the birth of the dot-com bubble and even earlier, it's, it's all very pronounced intraday. But... Uh, in the day session, wasn't like that. In the day session, correct. It's in the Got day it. session. So you're saying the the past twenty years, the normal profile has been up overnight, down in the day session. March correct. 2020 flipped that um, down overnight. Correct. And then how? So as I think of it, right? If Amazon comes out at 4:15 or whatever after the market close and announces record earnings, their stock jumps 15 percent. The S and P futures jump gap five percent or whatever. Like, can you even trade that, right? It just gaps to that level. So we're, or how, do the, how do you trade that? So even if you recognize that all this movement happens overnight, can you even, can you capture it? Because it just gaps, right? Yeah, you, um, if, if you talk single stocks um, or very narrow, basically, it's, it's getting more difficult um, in comparison to um, finding proxies. So if, if Amazon comes out with very good news, it will not materialize itself in the Hang Seng or the Nikkei, yeah. um, <laughs> or not to the degree that you can actually capture it. So um, if, uh, in terms of proxies and diversifying your US overnight um, via Asia and Europe, um, 
we are talking larger market uh, overall market driving events um but uh the um uh, so the systemic moves basically yeah yeah um, we'll dig into that because you used to call it yeah. right the global relay and this news happens and it's going to realize in all these different markets so dig into how you look at that yeah but um the uh if 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 you're long amazon and you already have it in the book um then then you're able to capture that yeah but yeah. Uh, the uh, uh it is quite likely that there will be another push if it's really good news another push um once the session opens because certain participants are way too large to act in the overnight because the liquidity overnight is uh, generally very thin. So you don't have as much um, um, room for the very large players. So they are predominantly active um, in the, on the fringes of the day session at the open and at the close, um, or they VWAP throughout the entire day. Yeah? And certain players, they are constantly, constantly on the buying side. If you think about all this passive investment uh, ETF discussion, very well um, researched and much better explained by Mike Green and folks yeah. than, than what I could say here. But um, they have done a lot of work there, which basically shows that you have this, this constant um, um, uh, support yeah. Yeah. of this upwards drift. And this is certainly also um, um, kicking in if you have really big news for a certain single stock or company. But we are um, have become quite active um, on the research side on um, uh, single stock trading as well. And actually just uh, in the process of applying um, our momentum signal on single stocks. And we see that it's very beneficial to trade them intraday as well, despite the fact that these big drivers are overnight because you get a lot of, lot of momentum from time to time, not very often, but if it's large, also in these single stocks. But we can talk about that uh, later for sure. Uh, and come back to that global relay concept so that you want that proxy exposure in Hong Kong um, to capture those down move, those tail events. Yeah, the, the global relay race is a term um, which refers to that um, something large is happening and it may start to play out first in Asia and then it followed, followed through in Europe and it follows through in the US um, or maybe just in two of these geographies. Um, where the relay is handed over to the next session. And um, despite the fact that um, the, the other geography is already aware of what has happened during, let's say, uh, the US overnight is aware what has happened during the day in Japan and early, uh, early morning hours then in, in Europe, but still may follow through. Um, um, gapping, but then still follows through, still a larger movement. And this doesn't happen very often that you have a, a, a global relay race around the globe. Um, but you have it in very large systemic crises. So when when something really big is happening, because then everybody is panicking around the globe. And um, if you trade um, intraday, uh, you have certain um, um, advantages in comparison to buy buy and hold if you have um, positions overnight as well. Because the uh, intraday program goes out at the end of the session. So at the end of the session in Japan or in, in Hong Kong, you're flat again. And um, you may enter new positions now in Europe if the relay is handed over and the market follows through, or you don't, and the next thing in the US. Because of that, you have intraday compounding, which can be very strong in cases of a complete relay race, or even when there are two geographies um, where you trade your capital multiple times per day. And because um, uh, capital requirements uh, are usually defined by margin, which you're holding overnight, 
So the, the clearing broker is asking for margin specifically if you have positions overnight. You need certain buffer as well uh, when you're trading intraday, but intraday margins are also not as high as, as overnight. And as such, um, uh, this is one of the key advantages of intraday programs, not specific to ours. So it's generally speaking, if somebody trades intraday, they have the advantage of extreme capital efficiency. And uh, you don't have to come up with new capital when you add such a program to, to a portfolio. Normally, you have to say, well, where do I reduce or where do I get new money in order to allocate to a strategy? And with intraday strategies, as long as they have the desirable characteristics, uncorrelated and things like that, um, you can just add them. And this is... Um, also the case when you trade globally. Yeah? So you don't need uh, three times your capital in order to trade your capital three times per day when you trade globally. That's a unique advantage. And what has certainly been helpful, uh, even when the relay race is not around, is diversification. Because uh, uh, we said earlier that um, the predominant pattern is rather noise and mean reversion in, in markets from an interday perspective. And now if you focus on momentum as we do, you have quite some challenges. But if you have a challenge in a certain geography, there may be momentum in another geography so that you can start compensating. And we have seen that um, very strongly in, in the very choppy environments in the past couple of months as well, where one geography has difficulties because it's always chopped around or very often chopped around, but you have very strong capture in another. So for example, uh, if I look year to date, um, ICA has been uh, quite strong in Asia. Yeah, so we have seen that the, the Chinese tech um, has been pushed down heavily by a, um, a series of uh, crackdowns from a regulatory side. And um, on top of it, you have also um, aspects of the zero COVID policy in China being put at test at the moment, with mm -hmm. Shanghai currently um, on lockdown and uh, prior to that, you had Shenzhen as well, and you had, I think, Shenyang as well in the north as well. So a lot of, a lot of difficult news for, for Asia, which basically pushed um, the market down heavily. And um, this could be captured with short momentum in the Asian session. Europe got um, chopped around a lot because Europe, obviously, because of the um, tragedy happening not far away from here between Ukraine and Russia, um, you, you had... Uh, overall, a negative connotation, of course, um, people got worried and market were pushed down. But the U.S. very often reversed what had happened in, the, in, in Europe. So we had a lot of choppiness in, Euro, in the European session uh, in the past couple of weeks, um, resulting in it being negative year to date at the moment, but positive Asia. And the U.S. is actually now um, um, stronger again because we have seen a, a more degree of follow through in the U.S., so you see that the global diversification helps in that regards. It's not always a relay race, um, but it's helpful if you already have a little bit under your belt before you get chopped, or if yeah, you've yeah. been chopped in the morning that you have an opportunity. So we never caught it a day until the uh, 4 p.m. Eastern. Then the day is over. The yeah? day is over. And, yeah. and even when and you it, wake up in the morning and you see a loss in, in Japan, I say, ah, I still have three sessions uh, to yeah. make it up. Uh, so... And I always see when I see right the U.S. market gaps down three percent, and you guys go short. I'm like, oh no, here we go. Here comes the reversal. <laughs> so have you yeah. done any research on that? Of like, how big of a gap down is too much of a gap down to go short that gap? The yes, um, 
it's it's not as direct that you say, well, this is too large, and now you don't go short. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, it is. It has an impact on the degree um, of position sizing, for example, and um, on the quality uh, of signal strengths we require. Um, for example, January twenty fourth. Um, you had uh, that's basically where the VIX went up heavily, and um, the S and P was down four uh, percent, roughly. I think around four percent, and then rallied up, complete reversal. And yes, that's exactly when you wake up and say, "Oh no, Bastion just yeah. got short." <laughs> um, the good thing on that day, despite seeing a, this is a massive reversal. So if the S&P is down close to 4% and then closes the day up in the positive, um, I don't know, really 5% or something like that. Um, this is like the most difficult environment for momentum because this yeah. is hardcore mean reversion. But we had capture in Asia and in Europe and we were actually flat on the day. Um, and you may recall that... Uh, uh, research um, on the interlay momentum side led from ICA employing a signal um, with ranges uh, to one which also has no ranges, um, the active interlay momentum. And there's a signal diversification following the idea of an ensemble approach uh, that you um, uh, combine different pass dependencies. And the pass dependency of the classic signal with ranges and the um, aim signal without was very helpful there because they took positions at different levels um, and uh, uh, we're only marginally down in the US, not as strongly. And the overall session was actually flat, despite that being probably the most violent or hostile environment for momentum. On the next day, the 25th, um, we even had this situation. This was like a repetition. So you wake up and you say again, and it was yeah. again gapped down and again a reversal and again in the positive. But this time there was um, a reversal of the reversal. But we even got a long signal there. Uh, if the if the reversal is strong enough, there may be situations where specifically AIM um, can enter because it says, well, I understand that I was active on the short side earlier this morning, but this is a very strong upwards momentum. And then AIM gets a signal. Classic can't really do that or not to that degree, because if you have a range and uh, basically uh, you're active on the short side, you break the range and then there's a reversal. Classic has to travel through the entire range in order to potentially get a long signal, but AIM doesn't require that. And so you saw that the signal diversification certainly helped there as well. But going back to your question, there are a lot of factors um, on a very short-term look back window, uh, looking at how is volatility evolving at the moment, um, how large is the gap, um, which informs um, the decision when to take a position and how large the position should be. And without right, that, you would be even more exposed, yeah. In the end of the day, you're trying to, have a small risk in order for the volatility to expand and then you capture the expansion typically to the downside yeah, but yeah. yeah. so as if things are whipsawing around that that's no good because the risk has now blown out too yeah if the whipsaw is large enough uh, it becomes a trend again or a momentum and so yeah. it is but if if it's if it's too narrow and you get stopped out twice or three times then it's an issue we have seen a lot of um, very exciting new data coming in in the past three months. Um, situations where we had um, two short entries, stopped out and short again, and then along 
at the end and maybe you're flat even on the day but you say oh all this work yeah and you despite this uh, fact that you're systematic you're still there and on these days you, you're always in front of the screen and i already know that i got cut some calls later on and people ask why yeah. this why that yeah and so i i already have the idea okay well i need a chart for that that's very exciting um three times trying your luck on the short side and then on the long side but positive at the end of the day yeah but it could be um or flat so uh it has certainly the the last last three months have been quite quite special in that regards but we we are happy um so um overall uh we saw that uh, um global diversification works so by geography signal diversification is very helpful aim has been the strongest signal since implementation in february last year um, and a, the research on AIM has informed um, uh, a new cash equity program, um, trading AIM, called AIMS now, um, Active Into the Momentum Stocks. And it, it shows that it's always the, important to not rest, but to continue um, uh, your research. AIM has been built on the, on the data of the uh, COVID and liquidity crisis, because there we saw very massive swings intraday as well. We already had the argument earlier uh, uh, today that well, it was an overnight crisis. So you could rest and say, well, we are US intraday. So how should we capture that if it's the sell-off is overnight? But still intraday, there were some, some very large attractive moves um, still being considered in a momentum move from our perspective. So our research focused on that and said, how can we capture something like that? And AIM is the answer to it. But as reflected in the past couple of weeks and months, it's still, it's always work in progress. Yeah? So um, um, we, we, we were grateful that the large down days, if you look um, Q1 2022, the large down days in the S&P, the majority of them, we were positive with decent capture. So we provided these positive uncorrelated returns. But at the same time, we also saw that um, the equity markets were down heavily. And it's not that we were up heavily. And um, if you look at the VIX complex as well, this was even more tricky because VIX also had um, uh, the pattern of um, a lot of overnight action, um, overnight expansion, and then um, a reversal uh, intraday. If you take um, the 24th of January, you discussed earlier, um, the, the, the front months rose by close to 20% on that day. Very yeah. strong, long signal on the VIX side. But then when the S&P reversed as strongly, it completely crushed 17 or 18% down. And this is very difficult to trade as well um, uh, in the VIX complex itself. But you can always learn. And there yeah. were a lot of interesting observings, um, observations um, in the past couple of weeks, or even the last two weeks. We are coming from a VIX with... Um, in, in the range of 30, I think the candle earlier today um, was 18, yeah, the, one of the candles. And yeah. um, this is in, in two weeks, this is a tremendous crush, complete reversal. Um, um, we're back in contango. And it's not that the world has substantially changed, that now everything is fine. Yeah? So we have, we have this tragedy still going on. It's not solved. Uh, yes, we have more clarity in regards to what the Fed is telling us at the moment what they think they will do going forward but uh it is still it's still surprising um how we how quickly we changed in a matter of two weeks from a type of cautious and crisis mode into uh, a certain degree of complacency again yeah 
But ultimately for us, it's still interesting. You have these, because of these changes, you have these moves and overreactions and um, the last couple of days have also been, been helpful for us. So I think people did the uh, sell the VIX. If there's a nuclear war, we die, right? The VIX will spike, <laughs> but we'll be dead anyway. If there's no nuclear war, it'll sell off heavily. So they just did that quick equation. And talk about, well, we're still on microstructure here a little bit. Talk about the liquidity in these markets, right? So I've seen a lot of reports that e-mini liquidity is at near all-time lows. Um, I have questions on how they measure that, right? And with a lot of algo execution stuff, a lot of size gets hidden. So what, what are your thoughts there? If you see it as a problem, you see it as getting worse, getting better, the same? It's, 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 it's a very interesting topic, but difficult to measure as you already hinted um, uh, in your question and statement. So yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, with, with one of your hats, certainly uh, partially um, having expertise on the execution side, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> with some, uh, some news I followed the other day, yeah. some good news, hopefully for you. And um, uh, looking, looking at liquidity and yes, the S&P, for example, if you look at uh, order book depth and um, um, top of book depth uh, as an example, how much, what kind of volume can you trade for a certain price without substantially impacting the market? And uh, there have been, um, Goldman did a lot of research or pushed it at, at least, and one could definitely see that until 2018, um, uh, order book death on the first level, um, on the top level was substantially larger in terms of how much notional um, you could actually get in there uh, without impacting. Um, and that has, has come down substantially after 2018. And since then, we have seen um, three or four cycles where it's somewhere in the range of, I think, uh, was it 30 billion, 20, 25, 30 billion, but has dropped substantially. For example, uh, during the um, COVID um, and liquidity crisis in March. So what you see specifically that however you measure that, um, that this is dropping substantially exactly when you need liquidity most. So it is a reconfirming the observation that um, liquidity can evaporate very quickly. Like uh, if you try to gra grasp sand, yeah. the stronger you the stronger you press, as, as quicker you, you, you lose it. And uh, so it's, it's not only uh, thin, uh, but it's also fragile. So liquidity disappears very quickly. And I think even if, if we incorporate um, very fair arguments you made that the way you measure it, that a lot of participants are not presenting themselves on top of the book, but they're basically using all kinds of different algos in order to slice, slice in, uh, um, to hide how much size, whatever they have there and they want to get in the market. Um, it's still, you can make the argument, execution algos and the idea to use these techniques are not new to us and haven't evolved over the past four years, but they have been around prior to that. So there's still a remarkable drop if you, in, if you incorporate um, um, the aspect that this has been around uh, yeah. for longer. And they and, should still show a footprint, right? Yeah. So even if it's reduced the, the end, overall yeah. footprint, even if it's still decreasing, their footprint is decreased. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is, it's, it's, uh, it's an occurrence. Oh, it's basically, it's something which is there and um, the 
the degree how bad it is um, differs from person to person. Yeah. Um, but do you ultimately, see, what it, mm -hmm. sorry, do you see the same thing in Hong Kong and Hang Seng and in Euro stocks or is it, what do you see across those different geographies? It is, it is a pattern specifically in times of crisis, which is uh, also happening then. It's, it's not necessary throughout the entire time, but um, uh, when stress hits the market, liquidity gets thinner very, very quickly. And um, this leads to higher volatility. And there are certain market participants um, who, when volatility gets higher, they're pulling out. So they're actually pulling liquidity and that's a reinforcing loop. And this is not Care just to name names. in the US. What do, you, what do you mean certain? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 there there used to be a time when a market maker was a market maker because the market maker made the market. Um uh I I heard an interesting podcast. Maybe it was you and Chris Cole. I'm I'm not quite sure, but basically there was a story that um somebody talked about his experience in the pit, and that even in the pit, um if, if the heat at the market, well, you really needed to go to the restroom. It's, yeah. it's not your yeah, fault. Yeah. Oh, you feel so sick. So that though it's this is also pulling liquidity. Yeah? Right, so you could right. argue, well, even historically, people um, pulled liquidity in times when they didn't want to provide it. Um, but uh, this has become substantially stronger. And uh, the that means that whatever you see in terms of liquidity is just not there. And when you need it most, it, uh, it disappears. And... Uh, this reinforces or even strengthens the crisis. And you have loops which are pushing markets down even quicker. For us, it's beneficial because the overreactions in the market are more pronounced because of that. Um, but ultimately, um, it, it leads to a higher degree of fragility in the market and um, may catch various people by surprise. Um, yeah, my view on that is the risk departments have gotten a lot more technical and improved right so in the old days that guy in the pit could just keep putting on size and the the guys and girls upstairs didn't even know what his size was until the <laughs> paper tickets came through the clerk got upstairs and they're doing the math right and now that's near real time of they know their exposure and they know hey that that person needs to be cut off and um, it's regulatory as well a certain yeah. folks are not allowed to put as much risk on the book anymore and um as such um it's 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 missing now and so but do you view it as a, a hindrance or an opportunity for your programs like because you're kind of a, a liquidity provider at those times or a taker right like so if people are rushing to get out the exit you can hold back and be like here you go here you go yeah it's uh it is it's an opportunity uh, because it leads to overreactions. Uh, it's, a, it's a reinforcing loop, um, pushing volatility higher and um, um, liquidity even lower. So it's as a result, the market moves become more extreme. And when you focus on intraday momentum, um, um, uh, it is beneficial. Certainly, you may have less capacity in these times as well, yeah, because we still want to get out at the end of the day as well. Uh, but uh, that has been addressed uh, by a lot of work on the execution side. So um, utilizing uh, professional third-party um, execution algos um, uh, while we focus on signal generation. Yeah, so we realized that despite the fact of having traded our own money for the last 25 or even 30 years, depending on the team member, and having a decent understanding how to execute things, if, you, if someone is really specialized in that, 
and does it as a day-to-day job, um, they will always do better, uh, almost, yeah, yeah. almost always. And that's why we would always, we would recommend to utilize the knowledge and experience of specialists wherever you can and stick to what you can do best. And in our case, it's the, the research on generating signals and not the intelligence on order execution. So switching gears, I love, love, love when I email you asking why this trade or that trade behaved the way it did, you don't answer with a sentence or a paragraph, but a full seven page report with graphs and, and stats and data. So uh, talk to us a bit about how you approach the science of what you do, how you've built this research um, team and, and tech, right? That doesn't just inform how you build the trading strategies, but how you answer emails as well. But doesn't it back the question if you actually read the seven page uh, pages? <laughs> uh, uh, sometimes yeah. even more, right? Our quant report is uh, it's like 60 or 70 pages. Um, I, I'll admit to skimming every now and then. <laughs> but that's <laughs> no, good. It, can be, it can be overwhelming for sure. Uh, it, it, uh, it is an interesting, or maybe not interesting, but it is an insight in how we do research and how we look at our programs and signals as well. Um, so... In many cases, um, the, all these pages are um, views on how a program behaves in a certain market environment on a certain day. Um, what are the interdependencies? Um, and the, these perspectives have been developed and collected over the past 20 years. So we said, wait a moment, what happens, what happens if uh, volatility rises or falls? Uh, the, 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 at the starting point, probably what was here's the S&P, most important market in the world. And what does my signal do, my program do when the S&P is up or S&P is down? And that's a good starting point for everyone, yeah. basically. Yeah, so um, look at your portfolio and um, do a day-by-day analysis, not monthly, but day-by-day. If the S&P is up and the S&P is down, do you usually make money when the S&P is up or lose money or the other way around? And more importantly, do you lose when the S&P is losing? And this is uh, very quickly leads to conditional correlations. Right, because we already said it's not even simple if the market was up or down that day. Was it up overnight? Was it up intraday? Yeah. That's that's one one uh, layer deeper that you start out with the, the first analysis uh, day by day, um, different asset classes against your program or your portfolio. And then you can divide between intraday and overnight. And so very quickly, you get a lot of different perspectives, which you can now run um, across all these different signals. And the majority majority of um, um, investment strategies, um, they they are very strongly aligned with the S&Ps doing. There's a lot of, lot of these strategies that basically lose when the S&P is down, have a, um, um, an undesirable correlation to the S&P in these times. And so it can be very helpful um, if, you, if you can analyze that, um, all being a vol manager or basically utilizing volatility to your favor, um, all our programs have these um, desirable um, anti-correlation to the S&P. And that's one view to look at it. But um, the next step is basically to, to categorize different environments. Uh, only because the S&P is down or up, well, you can say, well, usually I make money when the S&P is down. And I also um, from time to time make money when the S&P is up. But what kind of environment was this specific day? And that's where, where we categorize or have developed certain categories of days. A very One we referred to earlier, mean reversion intraday. 
So you look, is the market, was it a mean reverting market today or an inter momentum market uh, um, um, day? Or um, was it a low volatility day? Yeah? Um, in our perspective, roughly 60% of the time, it's, it's so low vol and not really moving anywhere that um, it's not even categorizing as a very strong mean version or a momentum. It's basically just really noise. Is that measured range-based? Like the range isn't big enough as a percent of its past X ranges or something of that nature? Correct. That's, for example, a very good, that's a very good um, um, first starting point. If you categorize yeah. um, what kind of range did I have on a given day and how does it compare to um, the average of the past months, year, or the entire data set. And um, if it's so below we, a certain threshold, then you say, well, this is a low ball day, not much movement and not much action. And even if I close at the low of that day, if it's inside that range, it still wasn't a momentum day per se. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And if you, if you have a large range, then the next step would be, um, or a range beyond a certain threshold is say, uh, was it momentum or mean reversion? And though you can look at open and close, um, how, how did that um, work out? Um, even when you have certainly a certain degree of choppiness, it is uh, a good starting point and measure to categorize a day. And then you can do analysis across your programs. If you have an intraday momentum program, you usually um, more, more often than not would like to see positive returns on days you categorize as an intraday momentum day. Yeah. And we needed to come up with these um, analyses uh, by ourselves, because the majority of the world out there is not as short term. Yeah. So the, the classical risk measures and the classical um, perspectives on how programs do are longer term. I, I'm, st I'm still surprised when uh, investors are interested to allocate um, to our portfolio, uh, to, uh, to add one of our programs to their portfolio, that they're asking for data, but they ask for monthly data. Because uh, it's it's not as it's not as helpful specifically if you would like to look at the um, interdependencies or um, the the relationships between um, a new component, a new portfolio building block you would like to add to the others. If you just look on a monthly basis, specifically some of the strategies don't even have such a long track record, so it, it becomes substantially more helpful if you go deeper and look um, on an intraday uh, on a day to day basis, if not intraday, and. Um, this, this is more complex and the tool sets are not as easily available. And as such, because we are on the intraday uh, space and uh, we are so short term, we needed to come up with our own analysis. But uh, it, is, it, it has, has been built over a very long period of time. And um, a lot of these analyses are very helpful for every other investor as well. We have uh, from time to time, if an investor uh, wants to look at this entire portfolio, we have done um, um, some work for them by asking them, well, you can give us the return streams of your 20 portfolio holdings and let's have a look what you actually have there. And uh, there has been, have been various occasions where people got caught by surprise because they thought, they thought well, I'm diversified, but then they see, oh no, um, you larger part of what I have. on these types of days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it can be quite shocking if somebody says, I'm, I'm well prepared for crisis, but then you see over the past 10 years on crisis, you have these positive correlations and everything, or larger part of your portfolio goes down. And it, then you very quickly come to the question, how large do um, long vol components in your portfolio have to be in order to actually drive the needle? 
if you have a minuscule allocation to anti-correlation or long wall or other strategies which could be beneficial in these circumstances, and the larger part of your portfolio is all short wall, uh, 90%, it's very difficult yeah. um, uh, to really do something there. Yeah? And, and that's, that's, that's how it is used um, internally and externally. What, what percent of the days do you identify as those momentum days that you kind of target that you like to see? Roughly 20%. Roughly 20%. Um, you, have, yeah, you, have, you, have, you have like 11 and a half, um, 10, 11 and a half on a long momentum side and also 10, 10, 11 on, on the short momentum side. Um, and, and so how do yeah. you, right? A lot of people I feel like would be like, why forget that 20%, right? Let's focus on the 80%, which we t- touched on in the beginning, but how do you avoid that getting into that trap of like, hey, there's, let's figure out how to make money in this other 80% of the time as well. Yeah, you you lose you lose your um, USP. Yeah. <laughs> no, you lose it. Yeah. You lose your characteristics. Um, uh, the long ball component. Um, the uh, the focus on momentum on the divergent trait um, creates a smiley of all these different programs, and that's where you have a very strong um, proposition what you can bring to the table. Whereas. Um, yeah, so it's kind uh, of like our mandate is X. So that's why we're focusing on, on Y over here. Correct. Correct. But it's, do you think you, you could? Positive skew yeah. and convexity there. And uh, that's, if it works, works to your favor, it's very exciting. It, it is, you can argue, well, 80% of the time, it's not really as exciting, isn't it? It is buffered because we're trading globally. So um, we talked about the global relay race earlier, but what you also have when you trade globally, you have locally confined crises. Yeah. So uh, the tech crunch in China, yes, it now played out in a larger picture because there was some crisis here as well, but it was still something local. This is a, re- uh, this is a government regulatory driven crackdown on tech. And um, it already played out in, in July 2021. So last year, um, you all already had that. And these are opportunities which are just existing there and um, um, uh, can bring something to the table when you trade globally and you do not necessarily have to squeeze more out of the uh, 80% in the US which are not favorable to you. Uh, you can trade momentum somewhere else uh, when it's securing there. So, right. And you have to and be what, patient ultimately. Right, which drives me crazy sometimes when people who are just trading the US and don't see that larger opportunity set. And I'm like, we might wait 20 more years for the volatility for the movement to come back in the intraday session, right? The U.S. has been very difficult to trade for a longer part, but um, as I said, uh, currently it's in, in all our momentum signals, it's positive year to date. Yeah? So it has, it has come back um, uh, more why, why not trade the overnight session in the E-mini? It's too illiquid. Uh, it is an interesting point. Um, there are opportunities you can you can filter for when is it liquid enough and you can enter theoretically. So there are opportunities, but we are accessing via the proxy via yeah, um, yeah. Um, Asia or Europe. Um, so you'd be and you would lose your down. edge. Yeah. Uh, you would lose your edge not to use USP um, um, uh, being an intraday program because once you start overnight, this kicks in. Uh, other capital requirements and a lot of our investors utilize um, the the intraday programs as an overlay to uh, the rest of the book Uh, very often they have i don't know equity beta s&p exposure and then they add this and you don't have to 
um, cut down your original allocation in order to invest as long as it's intraday. But once it you hold overnight, you have to make certain compromises. Um, you can still structure it um, in an interesting way, but it's a different game. And um, as such, we would we are currently not interested in that. We look at the data and try to analyze if there's more to it, but um, uh, are currently not focusing on accessing it in the global session outside the regular trading hours. And then when I think of research, right, how do you avoid the trap of like, okay, every Wednesday after the market was up on a Tuesday, we lose money. So let's not trade on Wednesdays, right? So how do you kind of match it back with reality to say, here's what the testing shows, but is that something we actually want to do? Or maybe you don't I would trade say on it triggers I, I, never because you just said why. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, data is something very interesting. You can play with it, you can dig and find stuff, but they're always at the risk of um, becoming too specialized on a very specific setting. Yeah, uh, if it's if it's always um, when Tuesday is down and Wednesday, but only when there's full moon or something like that. Yeah. Well, it, there could be um, um, there could be the the idea or feeling of um, a meaningful um, relation, but uh, I would argue that it doesn't. It's always a risk that it doesn't hold, and um, the the key focus point of the momentum strategies on the shoulders and tails, they are focusing on omnipresent behavioral aspects. So um, if the market um, shows a certain pattern and fear kicks in, this is very often very similar. And uh, it doesn't hold on Tuesdays or Wednesdays because there was a certain pattern in the past. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, we focus on these more um, stable and uh, more pronounced uh, characteristics. But, uh, you, but that's you going can... before you apply the research or after the research, right? So you're kind of pointing the research towards that philosophy. Yeah, it, it's 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 a reinforcing loop because yeah. if you are specialized, if you're specialized uh, in that area, uh, your curiosity is most likely also there. If you're not caught by surprise that you find something, say, wait a moment, I didn't expect that, uh, such as the um, overnight crisis in March 2020. This was new mm-hmm. for us in that magnitude, expressed in the S and P sell-off, but also if you look at the VIX. Uh, it was like amazing, just just also overnight, yeah. yeah. Um, and compare that to the Walmageddon, where if you, if you differ between uh, intraday and overnight, the, the entire move in Walmageddon was intraday. And so it was like, bam, on that day, and uh, it's completely explained by the intraday um, uh, driving forces. So, um, but there it triggered curiosity and we said, okay, um, we acknowledge that this took place overnight, but at the same time, we see interesting data that um, the moves intraday were still large enough. They may not be, cons- they were not proper for our way of trading it back at the time with the classic signal, but the aim signal um, should deal with that quite well based on uh, what we see on the research side. And that's why you certainly see a tendency in our overall evolution that we add different signals and um, uh, they may all be from a certain fam- fa- uh, family or momentum signals, but with different angles to it. We haven't yet add one which doesn't trade on Wednesday, 
could be. <laughs> That's a very pronounced case to be made. But um, um, the focus on, on the shoulders and tails, on the behavioral aspects, uh, uh, gives you um, a, a, a comfortable high degree of persistent alpha. There is not as much alpha decay. Yeah, uh, mm. because uh, it, it it will not go away. Even when people program algos or set their stops and it's all automatically, it's still our monkey brains. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> poor monkeys probably have much better. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's, still, it's still us. It's still us. Yeah. Um, um, we right. And like escape. we talked about, even if it's the risk department mandating it and it's not someone panicking, it's still the same conceptual thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and why not just have, bring in a machine learning team and say, click a button and have it right. Give it the parameters of, Hey, we want to be on the shoulders and the tails and tell us the 10 best ideas to capture alpha there. It's um, machine learning. Generally speaking is a very exciting field, AI yeah. and all the other things. So, and we have, the team has ventured into this space multiple times over the past years. Um, uh, Arne, uh, our chief investment officer, already did generic programming like 15 years ago. Um, but there have been many cases uh, where, we, where we, we, there were signals, but once you start try to implement it, it disappears mm. and it, it's not repeatable. It's um, and also not with size and things, things like that. Uh, uh, we struggle a bit um, to implement things where we can't explain why it's there and where it's coming from. And uh, uh, we can do that quite well, including utilizing our seven or 70 pages reports. Like, <laughs> I can tell you why we lost money there and why we will lose money again, or why we will make money in, in a certain setting. And um, uh, which investors like, that's, that's the problem with AI funds. P the investors can't pin anything on anything. Exactly. Yeah. And I, we, we are um, interested about what's happening there. We always um, try to look what other people are doing and we have um, tested things even in the past couple of two, three years, um, tested certain machine learning techniques and tools there, but so far haven't, haven't found something uh, which justified spending more time on it. Um, in yeah, that regards. You, you almost have to accept there's some hidden gem that the machine can find. Versus you're saying, I don't think there are really any hidden gems in there. It's noise. Let's just stay on the. On yeah, the and if 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 there are enough signals, and um, if uh, if it's scalable as well, as, uh, a lot of these things disappear as soon as you start um, applying size. We have we have we have traded and test traded um, um, certain machine learning AI generates uh, gen generated um, uh, signals, but. Uh, in the majority of cases, it was just not as stable enough. We always test um, new things with our capital first. And even uh, we had a, um, a site research project or two, two projects there in the past couple of years where we um, bought software or we rented software in order to see if, if we find something interesting there. But um, um, it was it, we didn't find something which fitted our long wall profile. It could be that on the short wall side, that you have um, um, more success there, um, which would add in terms of exposure to what the majority of investors already have in the portfolio. Then it's a new different way, machine yeah. learning generated signal on the short wall side. 
uh, but it's not our turf. Um, on the long wall side with skew, uh, something which would fit nicely side by side with the rest of the strategies, we, we didn't, didn't find anything. I haven't found anything. Chalk one up for the humans. You mentioned VIX. You have the VIX trading program. So that's kind of taking the same concepts, but utilizing it on the VIX. Um, talk about some of the challenges there. You mentioned the VIX was crazy on that Jan 24. Um, that one seems to be, uh, has been harder than the others this year so far. So what are yeah. you seeing in the VIX in particular that comes to mind? Yeah, generally speaking, VIX is already a quite difficult, a VIX futures. Uh, yeah. um, so we are trading the futures VX1, VX2, the first two expiries. And uh, it is, it's a very difficult instrument to trade because of uh, trading cost, yeah, large minimum tick moves. So you, you, you have to overcome this hurdle first. Um, at the same time, uh, we, it, it's interesting to be active in that um, space because we have seen an increase in VIX spikes over the past uh, years. So if you do an analysis on, on the, uh, the magnitude and the frequency of, of large moves, it has, it, there has been a pattern that these occur more often. Um, and um, as such, it makes sense to focus on it. Some of the moves um, uh, also initially start overnight. So we talked about that, that March 2020 from a VIX perspective was also predominantly driven overnight. And we, um, we also had um, um, some of these observations now in, in the past, uh, in, the, in the first three months of this year, so that uh, uh, the overnight played a strong role. But you still had um, sufficient and strong uh, momentum, um, volatility expansion intraday as well. The, the tricky part uh, over the past couple of weeks was that uh, the reversals were stronger. Uh, and in line with what you, what you saw um, um, in the equity market. Um, there were certain observations which uh, were very interesting that, for example, uh, why, <clears throat> sorry, while the S&P was already grinding down uh, in January, um, the VIX term structure was still very strongly in um, contango. Yeah. It's very juicy contango. <clears throat> and if you do an analysis and compare when do the term structure actually flip? So when you have the inversion, then you have backwardation with the, with the front ones uh, being higher than uh, the ones further out. Um, this has historically been quicker. So we saw in January that the VIX complex was rather relaxed in that the, what does it mean? It means that the, the necessity um, to hedge further um, to, to get protection on, on your book wasn't there while the market was grinding down. So it, it was way um, below uh, S&P already being down more than 5% that you actually saw the flip. Um, what we could also see, if you look at the spread between um, the uh, VX30, so constant 30, and um, the 30 days um, realized volatility, um, what you see historically in times of crisis, when there's really fear and panic kicking in, you see that the realized wall is surpassing the implied wall. So um, the implied is caught by surprise and yeah. then it's, it's, it's rallying as well. Wasn't there. Um, January and February with all the, the tragedy and human misery and the fears of what the Fed is doing and all the other things, 
panic never kicked in. So from that standpoint, uh, it was not a crisis. It was more like a correction, but still quite sizable. If you look at where the Nasdaq stood at a given point in time yeah. or the S&P, this is quite a sizable downwards move, but not um, expressed in panic. It was very orderly. Yeah? And the, the spread never went negative, um, uh, VX30 against realized, uh, which differs quite clearly from... Um, uh, from previous crises. So from that standpoint, um, uh, it going back into a, the quant report with 70 pages, it tells you, well, there were certain opportunities for our VIX interday momentum or the VIX short-term momentum, which can hold overnight. But uh, at the same time, they were not as juicy. And um, the days where we tried to make money and we didn't make any money on the on the uh, 21st of January, for example, this is a work contraction of 17, 18% after intraday also substantial move upwards. Uh, you would expect to get stopped out there if yeah. your objective is um, to go along at a certain point. What was beautiful, um, or not beautiful, but um, certainly positive, the big shorter momentum, the VSTM, the newer signal, which can hold positions overnight, had its first overnight position um, going into March 7th. And uh, this was positive because uh, the um, S&P dropped quite substantially on March 7th and VIX rallied further. So we had for the first time now live the confirmation that even when you trade very, very short term and from time to time you hold overnight, that there are certain information in the structure which informs that it can be more beneficial to keep the position instead of um, closing it and being purely intraday. Except that takes away from your USP. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you gotta uh, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But uh, uh, within the Vola program, which utilizes the uh, intraday VIX yeah, and yeah. the um, um, overnight, um, uh, it is just one sub-strategy. So it's not as high in terms of margin. And this happens very rarely. So the, both um, the VIX intraday momentum, VIX shorter momentum, they only trade in less than 6% of the time anyway. So it's very rarely that you see the substantial upwards moves uh, in VX1 and VX2. And then that the setting at the end of the day is still as juicy and informative for what's happening further out that you want to keep that position, it's happened even rarely. So most of the time when um, ICC and VSTM have an intraday position, they both exit at the end of the day. Um, so, so we were quite relieved to see that it took a position and it worked yeah. out. And what, what's the path dependency if I've already have the ICA, I've already have the, uh, right, say I've gone short Asia and made that money. Like what's the path dependency you're covering for that VIX spike at the same time? Yeah. the. The, right. It seems to me like somewhat I already have it covered with the other programs. Is it is it kind of adding on? Yeah, that's that's uh, in terms of um, BSTM, the overnight, um, you have the proxy potentially in your favor in Asia and in Europe, which could capture the expansion. But um, uh, VIX futures as an instrument are more convex. Yeah. So I would rather I would rather capture a nice run in VX1 than being short the Hang Zeng. It's very nice to have both, um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's a, it puts a certain um, uh, more boom for the buck to it and uh, provides a, an additional pass dependency to the portfolio. Uh, it is additive because uh, it's, it's a different way of expressing a long wall trade, which can occur in the overnight from the US perspective. And um, uh, as said earlier, sinks uh, even when it's a global crisis, uh, it is absorbed and processed differently 
um, in, in Asia and in Europe, even when it's the same, same idea which may drive whatever is happening in the VIX overnight. And um, if you look at the cross correlations between ICA in Asia and Europe, it's, it's, they don't have very strong correlations uh, to whatever's happening in VSTM overnight. Yeah? So they aren't, it's, it's additive because they're uncorrelated return streams. They're not correlated. So, um, and just talking in terms of VIX points, the goal of that is VIX is spiked to 25 and I'm going to grab 25 to 30. Or is it I'm getting value at 15 and waiting for it to spike to 20? Depends where you start the day, yeah. right? Because yeah. we're intraday, we're intraday. So if if previous day was at 15, now we're opening at uh, 25. Well, that's already quite sizable um, uh, and tricky. But it also uh, that would be a very very strong move, and it shows that hell is loose. And yeah. um, the both ICC and VSTM most likely would take a long position there being exposed to a reversal, but also um, being positioned to capture a continuation of um, the wall expansion. Let's close it up with two truths and a lie. You got to give me three things, two of which are true, one of which is false. And I'm going to try and suss them out. Got anything good? Ooh, um, two truths and a lie. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, uh, I, I, I once went to a, a wedding dressed as Chewbacca. Ooh, wedding like ceremony. That. That's good like for you that. as a establishment. Right. That's, um, All right, Chewy. My only action figure as a child was um, Prince Adam. Uh, with the uh, with the violet leggings and the um, wine red um, velvet vest, do you know? I don't <laughs> even know Prince who Adam. Prince Adam is. No, Prince Adam from He-Man, He-Man, Master of the Universe, and um, oh, yeah, yeah. Prince Adam would be the one which hasn't changed into He-Man and just is a <laughs> prince it. with the violet leggings. <laughs> and right. I like um, it. What else would be truce? I make it easy and I speak Chinese. Okay. Um, well, I know that you actually do speak Chinese and lived over there, so that's true. And I'm going to go the action figure is true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no, it's not true because um, um, I luckily it was my first, um, uh, and I was so disappointed that I got a second one. Because <laughs> can you imagine when everybody? Uh, I don't know if you know Master of the Universe, Skeletor yeah. and He Man, and they yeah, all yeah. have muscles and swords, and you have the prince with the velvet vest. <laughs> uh, and I got skeleton. I think um, uh, lucky me. Um, but yeah, said, come, uh, on. come on, mom, what am I supposed to do with this thing? But Chewbacca you, is true. Chewbacca is true. Chewbacca is oh. true. Yeah. Wow. Where was that? Uh, it was the wedding of my um, um, brother-in-law. <laughs> and it was the, enti the entire thing. So it was, um, it was even uh, the mask. Wow. Uh, do you know the mask? Yeah. That, oh. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Love it. I knew that you liked that. I got so that around was, here somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> it was the mask and the entire costume. So wow. um, it was a little hot. And, uh, 
Yeah. It, yeah, luckily it was uh, um, an autumn wedding and um, uh, you don't have to wear much under it um, uh, to be discreet. It's just between you and me here. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, and um, uh, my my son, he was also, he was a little Chewbacca. I was a Chewbacca and you couldn't tell that it's us because it was complete the entire costume. And uh, my wife and my daughter, um, they were Princess and Leia. And Perfect. the entire wedding was was Star Wars and other action figures. It was amazing. Yeah. I haven't right. have haven't had something like that before. I'm upset I wasn't invited, but yes, I can not, send you some pictures. Not knowing your sister, <laughs> right? Uh, well, thanks so much, Pastor. This has been fun. Let everyone know where they can uh, find you on the web. We're getting you on Twitter now, right? You're on Twitter, but you don't do anything. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, but I'm more a reader than um, um, yeah. a writer in that sense. Um, but yes, on Twitter uh, and um, uh, definitely uh, Deep Field Capital. Um, there's a web page on the, under construction for various years already. And um, <laughs> But you can send me an email at info at deepfieldcapital.com for sure. And um, uh, we're happy to share research and some insights on the quant reports and things like that as well, which we discussed for sure. They're great. Highly recommend. Uh, well, thanks, Bastian. It's been fun. Best. Thank you very much, Jeff. Luck. Have a good evening there in Switzerland. Thank you. And Stay safe and healthy. Will too. Are you going to come to Miami next year? Do we get to see you again? Yes, Maybe. hopefully. Maybe. So we yeah. are registered. We already registered for one conference and um, um, it was a pity that we couldn't travel, but uh, exactly. the, the pictures um, we have seen of you and the other folks were quite um, supportive in the argument that we missed something. Exactly. So. <laughs> it was fun. We missed you. All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to The Derivative. Links from this episode will be in the episode description of this channel. Follow us on Twitter at RCMAlt and visit our website to read our blog or subscribe to our newsletter at RCMAlt.com. If you liked our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits, and listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors.